0: Hi, this is Dave, and you're listening to Reading With My Brothers. Hey, brother, thanks for joining me again on our reading through the godly man's picture drawn with a scripture pencil by Thomas Watson. Today, we'll be looking at the godly man as a zealous man and the godly man as a patient man. Let's press on and get after it. Section 15. A godly man is a zealous man. Grace turns a saint into a seraph. It makes him burn in holy zeal. Zeal is a mixed affection, a compound of love and anger. It carries forth our love to God and anger against sin in the most intense manner. Zeal is the flame of the affections. A godly man has a double baptism of water and fire. He is baptized with a spirit of zeal. He is zealous for God's honor, truth, worship. Quote, My zeal hath consumed me. Psalm 119 139. It was a crown set on Phineas's head that he was zealous for his God. Numbers twenty five thirteen. Moses is touched with a coal from God's altar, and in his zeal he breaks the tablets. Exodus thirty-two nineteen. Our blessed Savior, in his zeal, whips the buyers and sellers out of the temple. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. John 2.17 But there is a preternatural heat, something looking like zeal, which is not. A comet looks like a star. I shall therefore show some differences between a true and false zeal. Number one. A false zeal is a blind zeal. Quote, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10.2 This is not the fire of the spirit, but wildfire. The Athenians were very devout and zealous, but they did not know for what. Quote, I found an altar with this inscription: "To the Unknown God," Acts 17:23. Thus, the Papists are zealous in their way, but they have taken away the key of knowledge. Number two, a false zeal is a self-seeking zeal. Jehu cries, "Come, see my zeal for the Lord," 2 Kings 10:16, but it was not zeal but ambition. He was fishing for a crown. Demetrius pleads for the goddess Diana, but it was not her temple, but her silver shrines he was zealous for, Acts nineteen twenty-five 25-27. Such zealots, Ignatius complains of in his time, that they made a trade of Christ and religion by which to enrich themselves. It was probable that many in King Henry VIII's time were eager to pull down the abbeys, not out of any zeal against popery, but that they might build their own houses upon the ruins of those abbeys, like eagles, which fly aloft, but their eyes are down upon their prey." If blind zeal is punished sevenfold, hypocritical zeal shall be punished seventy-sevenfold. Number three. A false preposterous zeal is a misguided zeal. It occurs most in things which are not commanded. It is a sign of a hypocrite to be zealous for traditions and careless of institutions. The Pharisees were more zealous about washing their cups than their hearts. Number four. A false zeal is fired with passion. James and John... When they wished to call fire from heaven, were rebuked by our Savior. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Luke 9.55 It was not zeal, but anger. Many have espoused the cause of religion rather out of faction and fancy than out of zeal for the truth. But the zeal of a godly man is a true and holy zeal, which evidences itself in its effects. Number 1. True zeal cannot bear an injury done to God. Zeal makes the blood rise when God's honor is impeached. I know thy works and thy labor and thy practice, and how thou thou canst not bear them which are evil. Revelation 2.2. He who zealously loves his friend cannot hear him spoken against and be silent. Number two, true zeal will encounter the greatest difficulties. When the world holds a gorgon's head of danger to discourage us, zeal casts out fear. It is quickened by opposition. Zeal does not say, there is a lion in the way. Zeal will charge through an army of dangers. It will march in the face of death. Let news be brought to Paul that he was waylaid. In every city, bonds and afflictions awaited him. This set a keener edge upon his zeal. I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 21.13 As sharp frosts by force of contrast... Make the fire burn hotter, so sharp oppositions only inflame zeal the more. Number three. As true zeal has knowledge to go before it, so it has sanctity to follow after it. Wisdom leads the van of zeal, and holiness brings up the rear. A hypocrite seems to be zealous, but he is vicious. The godly man is white and ruddy, white in purity as well as ruddy in zeal. Christ's zeal was hotter than the fire, and his holiness purer than the sun. Number 4. Zeal that is genuine loves truth when it is despised and opposed. Quote, they have made void thy law, therefore I love thy commandments above gold. Psalm 119, verse 126 and 127. The more others deride holiness, the more we love it. What is religion the worse, for others disgracing it? Does a diamond sparkle the less because a blind man disparages it? The more outrageous the wicked are against the truth, the more courageous the godly are for it. When Michael scoffed at David's religious dancing before the ark, he said, If this is to be vile, I will yet be more vile. 2 Samuel 6.22 5. True zeal causes fervency in duty. Quote, fervent in spirit. Romans 12.11 Zeal makes us hear with reverence, pray with affection, love with ardency. God kindled Moses' sacrifice from heaven, There came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering, Leviticus 9.24. When we are zealous in devotion and our hearts wax hot within us, here is a fire from heaven kindling our sacrifice. How odious it is for a man to be all fire when he is sinning and all ice when he is praying. A pious heart like water seething hot, boils over in holy affections. Number six. True zeal is never out of breath. Though it is violent, it is perpetual. No waters can quench the flame of zeal. It is torrid in the frigid zone. The heat of zeal is like the natural heat coming from the heart, which lasts as long as life. That zeal which is not constant was never true. Use number one. How opposite to godliness are those who cry down zeal and count it a religious frenzy. They are for the light of knowledge, but not the heat of zeal. When Basil was earnest in preaching against the Arian heresy, it was interpreted as folly and dotage. Religion is a matter requiring zeal. The kingdom of heaven will not be taken except by violence. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Objection. But why so much fervor in religion? What then becomes of prudence? Answer, though prudence is to direct zeal, yet it is not to destroy it. Because sight is requisite, must the body therefore have no heat? If prudence is the eye of religion, zeal is the heart. Question, but where is moderation? Answer, though moderation in things of indifference is commendable, and doubtless it would greatly tend to settle the peace of the church, yet in the main articles of faith, Wherein God's glory and our salvation lie at stake, here moderation is nothing but sinful neutrality. It was Calvin's advice to Melanchthon that he should not so affect the name of moderate as that, that at length he lost all his zeal. Objection. But the apostle urges moderation. Quote, let your moderation be known to all. Philippians 4, 5. Answer. Number one, the apostle is speaking there of moderating our passion. The Greek word for moderation signifies candor and meekness, the opposite of rash anger. So the word is rendered in another place, patient, First Timothy 3, three. By moderation then is meant meekness of spirit. That is made clear by the subsequent words, the Lord is at hand. As if the apostle had said, avenge not yourselves for the Lord is at hand. He is ready to avenge your personal wrongs. But this in no way hinders a Christian from being zealous in matters of religion. Answer number two. What strangers they are to godliness who have no zeal for the glory of God. They can see his ordinances despised, his worship adulterated, yet their spirits are not at all stirred in them. How many are of a dull, lukewarm temper, zealous for their own secular interest, but have no zeal for the things of heaven? Hot in their own cause, but cool in God's. The Lord most abominates lukewarm, nominal Christians. I almost said that he is sick of them. Quote, I would thou wert cold or hot, anything but lukewarm. But because thou art neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation 3:15 and 16. A lukewarm Christian is only half-baked, just like Ephraim. Quote, Ephraim is a cake not turned. Hosea 7, 8. To keep up a form of religion without zeal, is to be like those bodies that the angels assumed, which moved, but had no life in them. I would ask these tepid, neutral, professing Christians this question. If religion is not a good cause, what did they? Un- why do they undertake it at first? If it is, why do they go about it so faintly? Why have they no more holy ardor of soul? These persons would gladly go to heaven on a soft bed, but are loath to be carried there in a fiery chariot of zeal. Remember, God will be zealous against those who are not zealous. He provides the fire of hell for those who lack the fire of zeal. Use number two. As you would be found in the catalog of the godly, strive for zeal. It is better to be of no religion than not to be zealous in religion. Beware of carnal policy. This is one of those, those three things which Luther feared would be the death of religion. Some men have been too wise to be saved. Their discretion has quenched their zeal. Beware of sloth, which is an enemy to zeal. Quote, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Revelation 3.19 Christians, what do you reserve your zeal for? Is it for your gold that perishes or for your passions that make you perish? Can you bestow your zeal better than, than upon God? How zealous men have been in a false religion. Quote, they, they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance. Isaiah 46.6 the Jews did not spare any cost in their idolatrous worship. No, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, Jeremiah 32:35. They were so zealous in their idol worship that they would sacrifice their sons and daughters to their false gods. How far the pure blind heathen went in their false zeal. When the tribunes of Rome complained that they wanted gold in their treasuries to offer to Apollo, the Roman matrons plucked off their chains of gold and rings and bracelets and gave them to the priests to offer up in sacrifice. Were these so zealous in their sinful worship, and will you not be zealous in the worship of the true God? Can you lose anything by your zeal? Shall it not be superabundantly recompensed? What is heaven worth? What is a sight of God worth? Was not Jesus Christ zealous for you? He sweated drops of blood. He, conf- he conflicted with his Father's wrath. How zealous he was for your redemption, and have you no zeal for him? Is is there anything you yourselves hate more than dullness and slothfulness in your servants? You are weary of such servants. Do you dislike a dull spirit in others, but not in yourselves? What are all your duties without zeal, but mere fancies and non-entities? Do you know what a glorious thing zeal is? It is the luster that sparkles from grace. It is the flame of love. It resembles the Holy Ghost. Quote, There appeared cloven tongues like fire which sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, verse 3 and 4. Tongues of fire were an emblem to represent the fire of zeal, which the Spirit poured upon them. Zeal makes all our religious performances prevail with God. When the iron is red hot, it enters best and when our services are red hot with zeal they pierce heaven soonest section 16 a godly man is a patient man you've heard the patience of job james 5:11 patience is a star which shines in a dark night there is a twofold patience 1. Patience in waiting. If a godly man does not obtain his desire immediately, he will wait till the mercy is ripe. Quote, My soul waiteth for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 6. There is a good reason why God should have the timing of our mercies. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Isaiah sixty twenty two. Deliverance may delay beyond our time, but it will not delay beyond God's time. Why should we not wait patiently for God? We are servants. It becomes servants to be in a waiting posture. We wait for everything else. We wait for the fire till it burns. We wait for the seed till it grows. James 5, 7. Why cannot we wait for God? God has waited for us. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Did he not wait for our repentance? How often did he come year after year before he found fruit? Did God wait for us and cannot we wait for him? A godly man is content to await God's leisure. Though the vision is delayed, he will wait for it. Habakkuk 2.3 Number two, patience in bearing trials. This patience is twofold. First, either in regard to man when we bear injuries without revenging, or secondly, in regard to God when we bear his hand without repining. A good man will not only do God's will, but bear his will. Quote, I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Micah 7.9 This patient bearing of God's will is not... First, a stoical apathy. Patience is not insensitivity under God's hand. We ought to be sensitive. Second, it's not enforced patience. To bear a thing because we cannot help it, which, as Erasmus said, is rather necessity than patience. But patience is a cheerful submission of our will to God. Quote, the will of the Lord be done. Acts 21:14. A godly man acquiesces in what God does as being not only good, but best for himself. The great quarrel between God and us is whose will shall stand. Now the regenerate will falls in with the will of God. There are four things opposite to this patient frame of soul. First, disquiet of spirit, when the soul is discomposed and pulled off the hinges, insomuch that it is unfit for holy duties. When the strings of a lute are snarled up, the lute is not fit to make music. So when a Christian spirit is perplexed and disturbed, he cannot make melody in his heart to the Lord. Second, discontent, which is a sullen, dogged mood. When a man is not angry at his sins, but at his condition, this is different from patience. Discontent is the daughter of pride. Thirdly, prejudice, which is a dislike of God and his ways and a falling off from religion. Sinners have hard thoughts of God, and if he just touches them on a sore spot, they will at once go away from him and throw off his livery. Fourth, self-vindication, which instead of being humbled under God's hand, a man justifies himself, as if he had not deserved what he suffers. A proud sinner stands upon his own defense, and is ready to accuse God of unrighteousness, which, as if we should tax the sun with darkness. This is far from patience. A godly man subscribes to God's wisdom and submits to his will. He says not only, Good is the word of the Lord, Isaiah 39, 8, but good is the rod of the Lord use as we would demonstrate ourselves to be godly let us be eminent in this grace of patience the patient in spirit is better than the proud of spirit ecclesiastes 7, eight. there are some graces which we shall have no need of in heaven we shall have no need of faith when we have full vision nor patience when we have perfect joy but in a dark sorrowful night there is need of these stars to shine hebrews 10:36 let us show our patience in bearing God's will. Patience in bearing God's will is twofold. First, when God removes any comfort from us. And second, when God imposes any evil on us. Number one, we must be patient when God removes any comfort from us. If God takes away any of our relations, quote, I take away the desire of thine eyes with a stroke, Ezekiel twenty four sixteen. It is still our duty patiently to acquiesce to the will of God. The loss of a dear relation is like pulling away a limb from the body. Quote, a man dies every time he loses his own kith and kin. But grace will make our hearts calm and quiet and produce holy patience in us under such a severe dispensation. I shall lay down eight considerations which may act like spiritual medicine to kill the worm of impatience under the loss of relations. First, the Lord never takes away any comfort from his people without giving them something better. The disciples parted with Christ's corporal presence and he sent them the Holy Ghost. God eclipses one joy and augments another. He simply makes an exchange. He takes away a flower and gives a diamond. Second, when godly friends die, they are in a better condition. They are taken away from the evil to come, Isaiah 57 1. They are out of the storm and have gone to the haven. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Revelation 14.13 The godly have a portion promised them upon their marriage to Christ, but the portion is not paid till the day of their death. The saints are promoted at death to communion with God. They have what they so long hoped for and prayed for. Why then should we be impatient at our friend's promotion? Thirdly, you who are a saint have a friend in heaven whom you cannot lose. The Jews have a saying at their funerals. Let your consolation be in heaven. Are you mourning somebody close to you? Look up to heaven and draw comfort from there. Your best kindred are above. Quote, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up psalm twenty seven ten God will be with you in the hour of death. though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me psalm twenty three four Other friends you cannot keep. God is a friend you cannot lose. He will be your guide in life, your hope in death, your reward after death. Fourthly, perhaps God is correcting you for a fault, and if so, it becomes you to be patient. It may be your friend has more of your love than God, and therefore God took away such a relation, so that the stream of your love might run back to him again. A gracious woman has been deprived first of her children, then of her husband. She said, Lord, thou hast the plot against me. Thou intendest to have all my love. God does not like to have any creature sit upon the throne of our affections. He will take away the comfort and then he shall lie nearest our heart. If a husband bestows a jewel on his wife and she so falls in love with the jewel as to forget her husband, he will take away the jewel so that her love may return to him again. A dear relation is this jewel. If we begin to idolize it, God will take away the jewel so that our love may return to him again. Fifth, a godly relation is parted with, but not lost. That is lost, which we have no hope ever of seeing again. Religious friends have only gone a little ahead of us. A time will shortly come when there shall be a meeting without parting. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 How glad one is to see a long-absent friend. Oh, what glorious applause there will be when old relations meet together in heaven and are in each other's embraces. When a great prince lands at the shore, the guns go off in a token of joy. When godly friends have all landed at the heavenly shore and congratulate one another on their happiness, what stupendous joy there will be. What music in the choir of angels, how heaven will ring in their praises and that which is the crown of all. Those who were joined in the flesh here shall be joined nearer than ever in the mystic body and shall lie together in Christ's bosom, that bed of perfume. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 6. We have deserved worse at God's hand. Has he taken away a child, a wife, a parent? He might have taken away his spirit. Has he deprived us of a relation? He might have deprived us of salvation. As he put wormwood in the cup? We've deserved poison. Quote, Thou hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Ezra 9.13 We have a sea of sin and only a drop of suffering. Seventh, the patient soul enjoys itself most sweetly. An impatient man is like a troubled sea that cannot rest. Isaiah 57.20 He tortures himself upon a rack of his own griefs and passions, whereas patience Calms the heart, as Christ did the sea when it was rough. Now there is a Sabbath in the heart, yes, a heaven. In your patience possess ye your souls. Luke 21.19 By faith a man possesses God, and by patience he possesses himself. Eighth. How patient many of the saints have been when the Lord has broken the very staff of their comfort in bereaving them of relations. The Lord took away Job's children. And he went so far from murmuring that he felt a blessing. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job one twenty one. God foretold the death of Eli's sons. In one day they shall die, both of them. For Samuel 2.34 But how patiently he took this sad news. Quote, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. For Samuel 3.18 See the difference between Eli and Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Exodus 5, two. Eli said, "It is the Lord." When God struck two of Aaron's sons dead, Aaron held his peace. Leviticus ten two and three. Patience opens the ear but shuts the mouth. It opens the ear to hear the rod but shuts the mouth so that it has not a word to say against God. See here the patience, uh, the patterns of patience. Shall we not copy them? These are heart-quieting considerations. When God sets a death's head upon our comforts and removes our dear relations from us. Number two, we must be patient when God inflicts any evil on us. Patient in tribulation, Romans twelve twelve. Number one, God sometimes lays heavy affliction upon his people. Thy hand lies sore upon me, Psalm 38, 2. The Hebrew word for afflicted signifies to be melted. God seems to melt his people in a furnace. Number two, God sometimes lays various afflictions on the saints. Quote, he multiplieth my wounds, Job 9:17. As we have various ways of sinning, so the Lord has various ways of afflicting. Some he deprives of their estates, others he chains to a sickbed, others he confines to a prison. God has various arrows in his quiver with which he shoots. Number three, sometimes God lets the affliction lie for a long time. There is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. Psalm 74 9. As it is with diseases, some are chronic and linger and hang about the body several years on end, so it is with afflictions. The Lord is pleased to exercise many of his precious ones with chronic afflictions, which they suffer for a long time. Now, in all these cases, it becomes the saints to rest patiently in the will of God. The Greek word for patient is a metaphor and alludes to one who stands invincibly under a burden. This is the right notion of patience when we bear afflictions invincibly without fainting or fretting. The test of a pilot is seen in a storm. So the test of a Christian is seen in affliction. That man has the right art of navigation who, when the boisterous winds blow from heaven, steers the ship of his soul wisely and does not dash upon the rock of impatience. A Christian should always maintain decorum, not behaving himself in an unseemly manner or disguising himself with intemperate passion when the hand of God lies upon him. Patience adorns suffering. Affliction in scripture is compared to a net. Thou broughtest us into the net. Psalm 66.11 Some have escaped the devil's net, yet the Lord allows them to be taken in the net of affliction. But they must not be, quote, as a wild bull in a net. Isaiah 51.20 Kicking and flinging against their maker but lie patiently still uh, till God breaks the net and makes a way for their escape. I shall propound four cogent arguments to encourage patience under those evils which God inflicts upon us. Number one, afflictions are for our profit, for our benefit. He for our profit, Hebrews 12.10. We pray that God would take such a course with us as may do our souls good. When God is afflicting us, he is hearing our prayers. He does it, For our profit. Not that afflictions in themselves profit us, but but as God's Spirit works with them. For as the waters of Bethesda could not give health of themselves unless the angel descended and stirred them, John 5 4, so the waters of affliction are not in themselves healing till God's Spirit cooperates and sanctifies them to us. Afflictions are profitable in many ways. First, they make men sober and wise. Physicians have mental patients bound in chains and put on a frugal diet to bring them to the use of reason. Many run stark mad in prosperity. They know neither God nor themselves. The Lord therefore binds them in cords of affliction so that he may bring them into their right minds. Quote, If they be held in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their transgression. He openeth also their ear to discipline. Job 36, 8-10 through Second, afflictions are a friend to grace. They beget grace. Beza acknowledged that God laid the foundation of his conversion during a violent sickness in Paris. They also augment grace. The people of God are beholden to their troubles. They would never have had so much grace if they had not met with such severe trials. Now the waters run and the spices flow forth. The saints thrive by affliction, as the Lacedaemonians grew rich by war. God makes grace flourish most in the fall of the leaf. Third, afflictions quicken our pace on the way to heaven. It is with us as with children sent on an errand. If they meet with apples or flowers, by the way, they linger and are in no great hurry to get home. But if anything frightens them, then they run with all the speed they can to their father's house. So in prosperity, we gather the apples and flowers and do not give much thought to heaven. But if troubles begin to arise and the times grow frightful, then we make more haste to heaven and with David run the way of God's commandments. Psalm 119.32 B. God intermixes mercy with affliction. He steeps his sword of justice in the oil of mercy. There is no night so dark, but Israel had a pillar of fire in it. There is no condition so dismal, but we may see a pillar of fire to give us light. If the body is in pain and conscience is at peace, there is mercy. Affliction is for the prevention of sin, there is mercy. In the ark, there was a rod and a pot of manna, the emblem of a Christian's condition. Mercy interlined with judgment. Psalm 101, verse 1. Here is the rod and the manna. See, patience proves there is much of God in the heart. Patience is one of God's titles, the God of patience. Romans 15:5. If you have your heart cast in this blessed mold, it is a sign that God has imparted much of his own nature to you. You shine with some of his beams. Impatience proves there is much unsoundness of heart. If the body is of such a type that every little scratch of a pin makes the flesh fester, you say surely this man's flesh is very unsound. So impatience with every petty annoyance and quarreling with providence is a sign of a disturbed Christian. There is any grace in such a heart they who can see it must have good eyes. But he who is of a patient spirit is a graduate in religion and participates in much of the divine nature. Finally, the end of affliction is glorious. The Jews were captive in Babylon, but what was the end? They departed from Babylon with vessels of silver, gold, and precious things. Ezra six. So what is the end of affliction? It ends in endless glory. Acts 14.22 and 2 Corinthians 4.17 How this may rock our impatient hearts quietly. Who would not willingly travel along a little dirty path in plowed lands, at the end of which there is a fair meadow, and in that meadow a gold mine? Question. How shall I get my heart turned to a patient mood? Answer. Get faith. All our impatience proceeds from unbelief. Faith is the breeder of patience. When a storm of passion begins to arise, faith says to the heart, as Christ did to the sea, Peace, be still. And there is at once a calm. Question. How does faith work patience? Answer. Faith argues the soul into patience. Faith is like the town clerk in Ephesus who allayed the contention of the multitude and argued them soberly into peace. Acts 19, 35 and 36. So when impatience begins to clamor and make a hubbub in the soul, faith appeases the tumult and argues the soul into holy patience. Faith says, why art thou disquieted, O my soul? Psalm 42.5 Are you afflicted? Is it not your Father who has done it? He is carving and polishing you and making you fit for glory. He smites that he may save. What is your trial? Is it sickness? God shakes the tree of your body so that some fruit may fall, even the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12.11 Are you driven from your home? God has prepared a city for you. Hebrews 11.16 Do you suffer reproach for Christ's sake? The Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. First Peter 4.14 Thus, faith argues and disputes the soul into patience. Pray to God for patience. Patience is a flower of God's planting. Pray that it may grow in your heart and send forth its sweet perfume. Prayer is a holy charm to charm down the evil spirit. Prayer composes the heart and puts it in tune. When impatience has broken the strings and put everything into confusion. oh, go to God! Prayer delights God's ear. It melts his heart. It opens his hand. God cannot deny a praying soul. Seek him with importunity, and either he will remove the affliction, or, which is better, he will remove your impatience. Well, okay, brother, those are our next two sections. The godly man is a zealous man, and the godly man is a patient man. I feel like I say this every time, but it always seems that these sections strike at the heart. In terms of the zealous man, I think there's an important lesson there, especially in a time when we are encouraged so often by the the talking heads of kind of evangelicalism, evangelical thought, to be careful and kind and mellow and winsome, and that the people who argue strongly for things, argue passionately for things, are uh, somehow being unkind or being unChrist-like. And I think when voices like that arise, what they're really saying is, don't be so zealous, especially for things that matter. I mean, certainly we are told over and over again in scripture uh, by Paul and, and and other scripture writers in the New Testament, especially not to uh, fall into dissensions and arguing about genealogies and 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 silly pointless arguments, but there are things worth fighting for, and I have to be honest, this is something that I have i think grown in a little bit i'm starting to grow in as a believer as as a as an elder as a pastor is is the idea that i don't i should not be afraid to jump into discussions that are uncomfortable when it matters. And I think more and more as we move forward in this culture and in the, in the path that we are on in the culture in which we live, it's going to become more and more vital that we grow thick skins and are able to boldly argue for truth. Zeal is not sin. And I think Watson gives us no quarter here. When he says, if you have no zeal for God, what is it that you do have zeal for? What is it that you are passionate about? For some of us, we may need to check our hearts because we become more passionate about our you know, political system than we do about the doctrines of God and the state of the church. If you're more incensed about what some politician has done this week than you are about uh, Christian pastors who are teaching blatant falsehood and leading people to hell, telling them that they're saved, then maybe it's a good moment to take a step back and say, okay, am I do I do I care about the most important things? And when I say that, don't hear me say that politics isn't important. Politics is absolutely important. That the state of our nation is absolutely important. But the the issue is if we are mild-mannered and Weak-willed and limp-wristed when it comes to the things of God, the doctrine of the church, and the uh, name and glory of Christ, then all of our passionate arguments and culture warring uh, over the political sphere isn't going to amount to much. You know, we don't have to neglect the the, the lesser the, the lesser things uh, as we pursue the, the larger things. So I guess the warning to us or the challenge to us from Thomas Watson is make sure that our greatest zeal, our hottest zeal is for what is eternal, is for what is lasting. And if we are, are unwilling to be zealous about much, maybe the challenge for us is to check our temperature to make sure that we're still living, that we have even got something going on. The, the the phrase that comes to mind again from the reading is is to be hot, uh, hot in in our um. Oh, I forget what it is now. It's to be to be hot in our our activities, but cold in our prayers. We don't want to be that guy. Now, in terms of the the section on patience, I have to tell you, I was and I don't know if you could hear it. I was getting uh kind of emotional, um, as he was discussing the the loss of a loved one and the patience that God gives and the patience that God expects of us and trains us in. If we lose a loved one, what he calls a relation. And I have to admit brother, that this is something I have really been thinking about lately. And this is partly has to do with my own struggles with anxiety and um, worry about my family and the, the kind of the, the idol of safety that i am constantly having to tear down in my own heart the thought of losing someone close to me like my wife or one of my daughters is absolutely devastating and this is something that the enemy uses to throw me off balance or to distract me is you know moments like this right now i'm at home by myself and my girls are out going to uh going to a park and going to a, a playground and things like that and if i don't hear from them for a very long time, um, you know, a few hours without any contact. Sometimes the enemy will try to distract me by throwing thoughts in my mind of what if something happened to them? What if one of the girls was taken? You know, these type of things. And there is a a godly and and righteous desire to protect as a husband and father. And I, I want to nurture that. But I also do not want to be a slave to fear. And so the... You know the the you know the, th- the thing that, that you're most afraid of, I've heard it said becomes like a, like a little hell for you what is the hell you are trying to escape And you could almost argue that when it comes to this this issue the the little hell that I fear is the is the hell quote unquote of losing my wife or losing my daughters and um, this section, it about patience was really encouraging to me because it was a challenge to me that even if god in his providential wisdom decided to take my girls i have to be able to throw myself on the ground and lift up my hands and say the lord gives and the lord takes away blessed be the name of the lord Not only that, but as I was reading, I'm thinking of friends and loved ones I know who are in the later stages of their lives, who are dealing with illness, who are dealing with um, suffering and thinking about what happens when, when the Lord decides that it's time for them to come home. And... I know that some of you, this may be something you experience a lot lately, or you have experienced a lot lately. You've had to say a lot of goodbyes. I, I have to tell you that I, I, this is—it's bittersweet to think about, to think about some of the people I've, I've grown close to over the years, and some family members that I, I love dearly. Who, when the time comes and I have to say goodbye, it's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard. But the truth is absolutely there. What? Utter joy there will be when the welcome party kicks up in heaven. When we are reunited with our loved ones who have gone before us. With the saints who we love dearly who have gone before us. With the the saints we've never met who have gone before us in glory. What joy there will be on the other side of the river. So that is an encouragement uh, encouragement to me. That the Lord is sovereign, everything is in His hand. The, the, the days of my life and my wife's life and my children's lives are, are written in His book. And when He decides it is time, it's time. And that is good. It is not simply a, you know, a, a, an unfortunate circumstance of a broken world. It is 100% God's or, or, ordaining will, His is providential, Love and grace, and I know that all things happen for my good, even painful things, even devastating things will happen for my good. I have not had to face too much loss in my life so far, but I know that I will, and my prayer is that even now, through the reading of of scripture and through the grow growing, growing my faith growing and the the encouragement and love and 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 blessing of my brothers and sisters speaking into my life and the blessing of good books like this that i will be prepared i will be equipped so when the darkest of days comes i will be able to stand my ground i will be able to say like david at the death of his infant He cannot come back to me, but I will go to him one day. So let us pray now about these two questions, about our zeal and our patience. Father, we are challenged once again by our brother Thomas as he gets pretty uh, aggressive in his assessment of those who have no zeal. Lord, I pray we are not empty suits, that we are not cold-hearted men, but that we will be zealous for the things that matter, that we will be zealous for the glory of God, that we will be zealous for the truth, that we'll be zealous for the health and life of the church, and that we will have passions that are controlled and focused and, and directed toward righteousness. So Lord, I pray for my brother as for myself, that we will examine our hearts to to look for where we are most passionate and make sure that our passions, our zeal, our fire is directed at the right place. And Lord, I pray that as we consider the future, as we consider the the possibilities of, of life in this world, that we will be patient to trust that what you do is right and what you do is good that we will not grow impatient or discontented in our circumstances, but that we will uh, seek to be faithful in everything you put in our hands. And when things happen that are outside of our control, things that are hard, things that are devastating, things that are um, life-altering, I pray that you would give us grace and patience to trust. No matter what happens, our God is a good father. Who gives good gifts even if the gifts don't look like what we expect them to so father go with us today guide our steps help us to be patient help us to be passionate in a controlled focused way and help us to bring glory to your name we pray in jesus name amen go forth brother your god is good and he loves you